I entitled it, World Impact Sunday Always Reveals the Idols in My Heart. Romans 10, 15, everybody knows. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's a question. A question is always better than a statement because a question draws out some kind of a mental response. I make a statement and I can't tell whether you're listening or not. I ask you a question and I know whether you're listening. If you don't answer the question, you didn't hear it. It calls for some kind of response. Paul doesn't just want his readers left unengaged, so he doesn't just tell us the lost can't be reached without a preacher. He doesn't state. He asks, answer the question, is what Paul says. How? How are they going to preach unless they're sent? But we have even more reason to think about that question. And I read this and couldn't believe it until I looked it up and checked it out. At present population growth rates, there are different estimations. Most land around the earth being populated between 10 and 12 billion people by the year 2030, seven years away. And as large as that number is, that's not the amazing part. Here's the amazing part. The amazing fact is one half, get this, one half of all the people who have ever lived since Adam and Eve, one half, the total number of people who have ever lived since Adam and Eve are going to be alive in 2030, if those stats are true. Like, doesn't that make you go, wait a minute. And that means perhaps during our lifetime, the number of people who will need to hear the gospel is not going to get smaller. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get a lot bigger. Many of those 10 to 12 billion people are going to be born among nations that are already close to the gospel and don't want to hear it. And yet here's the most wonderful news anyone can hear from a pulpit today. Christians who are alive in 2030, will have a chance to reach one half of the people who have ever lived on this planet since Adam and Eve with gospel truth. Not one human being has ever had that chance before. It's going to be an absolutely unique opportunity. Here's what that means for the gospel mission of the church, our church. It means... We're nowhere near done, is what it means. It means we're just getting rolling. It means there's never been a time when it's more sinful to coast or relax. We're going to need more global workers, a lot more. We're going to need a lot more proclaimers of the truth of Jesus Christ. Paul refuses to leave us with the impression that all of these unreached people are going to just come to Jesus on their own. He says they're going to have to be reached. And if they're going to have to be reached, missionaries will have to be sent. 
my view is that God requires the same sacrifice on the part of senders as he requires on the part of full-time goers. It's not the job of some Christians. It's the assignment of all who claim salvation in Jesus Christ. Let that sentence land. If, if we use, if I use just leftover resources to send missionaries, the unreached people are going to die in their sins. And how much that bothers me is perhaps the real test of my Christian authenticity. That's what proves whether or not the love of God has touched my heart. Now, I want to just show you quickly, I'm over halfway done. I want to show you how Jesus makes the same point, but a little bit more vividly. You'll know this parable. He tells it to a crowd of people who are listening to him teach, only to be interrupted, get this, by two people, can you imagine it in a church service, who stand up and they're squabbling over an inheritance. Someone's being cheated out of money. While Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And Jesus sees something bigger going on than just the two people squabbling. And so he seizes the moment and he launches into this story. He told them, these people, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, this is a good question to ask. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my stuff. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And this is the part. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample. So he's ample goods. For what? Well, for many years, relax, eat, drink. Mary. I'm not studying that whole parable. Common sense tells us it can't be true that it's a bad thing to be a productive farmer. It's not a bad thing when your land produces plentifully. It's not a bad thing when your business prospers. It's not a bad thing when you get a promotion and a pay raise. It's not a bad thing when your investments increase. That is not the evil in this parable. Why is this rich farmer called a fool? By God, that's the question. Because, because God does call him a fool. Fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. So he's losing his soul. But the reason God called him a fool isn't in verse 20. The reason God called him a fool is in verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And here's, here's the way I would put it. By the way, he planned to use the increase of his riches. He gave no indication whatsoever of being what Jesus called rich toward God, in verse 21. 
he kept building bigger barns, and that might be okay. If you're going to store up for something that makes God look like your treasure. You could have some big kingdom project in mind, bigger barns, smaller barns, that's not the issue. It's what this rich fool said. 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods for many years. What are you going to do now? And here's the best he can come up with. Eat, drink, fun. So the use he plans to make of his wealth says only one thing. My treasure, my real treasure, is relaxing, eating, drinking, and pleasure, right? That's what's on his mind. Those are my riches. And the stuff in my barn is going to make those things possible. That's how he's figuring. That's my life. The riches in my barn make it possible for me Relaxation, food, fun, pleasure, leisure. That's why I gave this little talk, the title, The World Impact Sunday Always Reveals the Idols in My Heart. And then Jesus gives the key concluding remarks. Makes it clear in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for, here's the words, himself, and is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. This is the only place that phrase is used in the New Testament. Rich toward God. What does it mean? And I think the meaning is pretty plain from the contrast between the first half of verse 21 and the second half of verse 21. So rich toward God is the opposite of laying up earthly treasures for yourself. That's what rich toward God is. Being rich toward God is the opposite of treating yourself as though you were made for things and not first for God. Being rich toward God is the opposite of acting as though life consists in eating and drinking, merry, relaxation. Or, or to strike it differently on World Impact Sunday. Being rich toward God means using earthly riches to show I value God more than anything else. And that's where this rich man failed. Not because he was rich. The result was that he was a fool who lost his soul. And the reason Jesus turns his rebuke of this rich man and Jesus turns it to the whole crowd is because he's saying, everyone, everyone will mess up. If the stuff in the barn or the bank or the investments, if the stuff there is for me and me alone, I've always been haunted by Augustine's words. Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. Doesn't that make you go, 
ouch, a little bit. Christ is not valued at all, unless he's valued above all. So if the lost are unreached, it's not because God doesn't love them. It's not because God doesn't have a plan, a way to reach them. He does. And that's why he saved you, and that's why he's prospered you. I don't have a slide for this, but Psalm 67, 7. Listen. God shall bless us, okay? God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth hear him. And I like the link between the blessing of God and the ends of the earth. I, I have to think of me. I'm not scolding you. I'm talking to me. Can I honestly believe, given the time in which we live, that opportunity that I started out with. Can, can I honestly believe that God blesses me materially so I can consume more of my income on myself? I have a nice house. I need it to be nicer. I have a nice car. I need a better one. And does that fit with what I see God doing, sending his son into this world who, though he was rich, yet for Don Horban's sake, he became poor. And everyone said, 